Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pabedimitria, and this is Alex Hunter. We'll be the pilots for this podcast about the news, the startups, and the technology defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, two hours and two minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, our friend Dean Johnson tells us all about the gadgets he loves and the future of virtual reality. The iconic JFK Terminal 5 building will live again as a hotel. Your seat is becoming a nightbed dock. The success of live sports during flights. What first class truly means, and Star Wars meets the Boeing 787 Dreamliner. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the passenger seat bell sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise cancelling headphones. Flight 12 to LAX. Hello, guys. Hey. Hi. Yes, guys, because again, we have a guest this week. Hi, Dean. How are Hello. you? <laughs> Very good, thanks. So tell us a little bit more about you. Who are you, for those who don't know, because you, Alex and, and myself, we know you very well. So just for the audience, who are you? What do you do? Okay, well, my extremely long job title these days is Senior VP of Creative Innovation at the Brandwidth Group. And uh, that means I have a very long business card or one that should fold out. <laughs> um, but that does, that does mean that um, the, the very tenuous link to traveling means that I do get to fly all over the place. But it tends to be between our offices in London, Windsor and L.A. Um, so there's a big chunk of air travel in between, certainly the, the, the east and the west there. But it, um, it it means that, you know, the fun side of my job is that uh, I get to travel out to, to the US and work with amazing partners from the real big guys from Apple and Cupertino um, through to the really, really interesting startups um, that are working on kind of the cutting edge of technology that may one day be bought up by the big guys. Um, but also the creative side of things is that, you know, essentially that, that production hotbed is, is there in LA where we're working with the likes of Disney. So, you know, that means that we end up with great properties like Star Wars and Doctor Who back over here in the UK. Wow. And, oh, by the way, for those who are, who are wondering, I had said when we first invited our first guest a few episodes ago that we, want, we wanted to look into two types of guests. One of the types were people that are in the aviation industry and the other type of guests are people that work in what Alex would loosely uh, say as the tech industry because we want to have a, a little bit of a fresh eyes and external point of views. This is why we invited someone like Dean today because we don't want to only have aviation experts and to be living in our own bubble. So don't worry about being too tenuous in terms of what you're going to say compared to the aviation industry. That's all fine. You said Star Wars. That already piqued my interest there. Uh, but we'll talk that about a little bit later. But talking first about the, the guest we had a few weeks ago, uh, Dan. Alex, just tell us a story because it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so I was, uh, as, as you guys know, I was in San Francisco for a month. And uh, I flew back to London on Saturday night. And it just happened that Dan was working that night in the, in the tower. And he came down to the gate and, uh, and said goodbye to us, which is really nice. Um, but then I discovered this, and it, it, I'll tell the story chronologically, but uh, just listen to this. This is, this is from a recording from San Francisco Tower the night that I left uh, San Francisco. Southwest 4809, hold short of runway 28 left. 42, I have a request when you have a minute. 
Once you guys get settled in, if you could uh, give a warm welcome to uh, Alex and Deanne Hunter. They're good friends of mine that are on your plane tonight. So that's Alex and Deanne Hunter, uh, Virgin 42 Heavy. We'll do that for you. You got it. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that happened. This is amazing. <laughs> and, and uh, of course, I didn't know that was happening because I was on the airplane. But um, about... 10 minutes into the flight so we're still kind of we haven't reached the top of the climb yet the one of the flight attendants comes over the pa system and says if there's an alex and deanne hunter could you please make yourself known to one of the one of the cabin crew and i knew something was up because my real name is ian so all of my tickets are booked ian hunter and if it's anything to do with the flight that's the name they would use i was like okay what's going on here so i ding the bell and uh, a flight attendant appears with two glasses of champagne and says from your friend in air traffic control. And, <laughs> so as soon as we landed in San Francisco in London, I uh, I messaged my friend to say, "Dude, that was amazing." And he didn't he didn't obviously you could hear he didn't request anything like that, but not only did it was that cool that uh, that he did that in the first place, but Virgin then took it the extra mile and and did something really really nice, which just made for such a great story that I am still like tickled by. No, this is really awesome. It never happened to me. <laughs> Dean, has it ever happened to you? Yeah, well, a similar thing happened, but Richard Branson actually came out. But no, <laughs> no, no nothing similar. <laughs> I haven't clearly. I haven't got friends in high enough places like yourself. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a fun uh, fun story. I've been milking that one. <laughs> uh, we also want to quickly say uh, thank you to a lot of people. Uh, the list is too long this week to actually say them all. A lot of people who actually tweeted back at us, sent us email because now that the email is out, hello at layovers.2. A lot of people have been emailing us. So really thank you guys for doing that because it's uh, it shows that we have listeners that care. So thank you so much for it. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, moving on to the news of the week, as every week. So first, uh, the saga continues, uh, and that's not the Star Wars saga, it's the Emirates versus the US <laughs> saga. But this time, it's just to mention that Emirates has just ordered a very, very, very large amount of engines from Rolls-Royce, uh, which amount to 6.1 billion pounds, Jeez. British pounds, that is $9.2 billion worth of engines. I mean, holy cow! This means they're really committed, right? Are they Airbus or or triple seven engines? I think I think it's uh it's for the Airbus. I think if wow. it's the Airbus, uh, the 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 Trent engine is also already uh, powering the A three eighty, and I believe that this uh, new order is also for the A three eighty. Wow! Amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it just shows how much I mean, just the, the amount of money is staggering. It shows how much uh, Emirates is pushing into you know expanding its fleet, expanding its destination, etc. It's just pretty pretty amazing. It's also good news for Rolls Royce because Rolls Royce, although I think now they have a fifty fifty shares on A three eighty with the other manufacturer, Rolls Royce has have has had uh, some hiccups. They were also laying off some people, so it's good news for the UK. Yeah, uh, it's with, an interesting and adds an, another frisson of complexity to this whole um, debate that's going on because there will be peripheral businesses like Rolls-Royce who don't want to see airlines like Emirates slow down. They want them to keep growing. They want them to keep ordering airplanes yeah, so that they can provide engines. So, And Rolls-Royce aren't exactly a small company, so they'll have a little bit of political clout when it comes to this broader debate. 
Yeah, talking about uh, Emirates, uh, there was a quote that I read in The Guardian from uh, Tim Clark, who said, and that's pretty interesting. He says, 30 years ago, when we sat down and worked out our business model, we never thought it was scalable as it was. Within eight hours flying time, we've got 5.5 billion people. In the old days, they were moving, and now they are moving. We'll have 60,000 to 70,000 permutation of city pairs you could do if you put your mind to it. Wow. So long as we do and Dubai continues to grow its airport or airports, where does that end? Question mark. I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, Emirates can still grow like a really, a really lot, right? Yeah. Wow. That's quite quite a compelling statement. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I've, I Actually, you said many times that, Alex, that Emirates was, since that old saga started, was kind of pushing new routes and new uh, uh, in the US just to like play a little bit of a game. Uh, there was, I mean, it just got, it just over, but uh, to, to even going with that point further, Emirates was enticing, uh, us passengers with a, with a two to one, two to one special, uh, for two weeks. So it was like, you, you were able to go to uh, several destinations, uh, mainly in Asia. I think it was Singapore, Bangkok, KL for like a two to one uh, combo. So they're wow. really pushing it hard. Right. But you said that they were, you, we mentioned in a, in, a, in a discussion we had earlier this week that you think that they might be also doing that because they know that maybe the hammer would go down at some point. Yeah, it feels like in many regards, they're pushing capacity to the US, opening new stations and new destinations very aggressively because there is the chance that new getting those new routes will become a lot harder in the future, even if it's temporarily. So while the existing legislation framework is in place, they're rolling those routes out as quickly as they can. That's purely speculation on my part, but the growth has been phenomenal over the last, I don't know, really this year. And that's kind of my gut says that that might be partially motivating this this growth we're seeing in US destinations. Actually, I might I might try to take the A380 from Milan to New York uh, next month just to ah, see nice. how that works. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dina, have you ever taken Emirates? I think I have. See now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the the great part about my traveling is most of the time I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so that's, so that's, I can I can actually say it's true. Your assistant, <laughs> she was always saving you. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I I would always describe myself, no matter where I am, and most of the time I don't know where that is. Uh, I am geographically challenged. Now, <laughs> I at one stage in the UK, I moved house eight times in seven years. And wow. no matter where I lived, I never got used to where I actually was locally, even though some of those houses were actually quite close together. So now when I go anywhere, so when I go to the States, um, if I go to New York, I love it because I can kind of walk everywhere um, and I can just stare at my phone and it tells me where I am. If I go to LA, <laughs> I'm screwed because if I have to drive anywhere, yeah. chances are I'm going to be heading the wrong way up a freeway somewhere with, with 10 minutes to spare to get to the other side of LA. That's not <laughs> So, yes, I think I have flown it, flown Emirates. I've been to Dubai and I'm pretty sure it was Brunei something or other on one of those. Uh, Emirates, I'm pretty sure it was last year. Um, and, and, you know, the service and everything is, is all great. But when you're in cattle class, it kind of, there's still... You know, unless you're in actually in stowage, then there's there's not really a great deal of difference on those. <laughs> oh, true. I mean, we'll get we'll, we'll get back to uh, because I was about to say that that's why you have so many phones and gadgets on you. But we we'll get that to that part later when we get to, to interview you. Um, moving uh, back to Europe, 
uh, to a place where I used to live, actually, uh, Cyprus, Alex. Yeah, this is a strange story. And I'd be interested, Paul, with your Cyprus connections, if you've heard anything about this. I, I found this story on airliners. And apparently there is a new airline since the demise of Cyprus Airways to take over that, that slot called Cobalt Air. And they've applied to set up operations out of Cyprus. Um, but the only piece of information I can find about this airline is a single article in the Cyprus Mail. I don't know if that's a legitimate newspaper or if it's purely online, but there I can't find any other information about it. Yet the people associated with this airline are uh, very reputable people from BA, Virgin, Cathay, um, Jazeera in, in Kuwait, Qantas. So these are not, and apparently the official application has gone to the Cyprus um, Department of Civil Aviation for processing, and the money's there, and it has to show where all of their funds came from. But it's really odd that there is not a, anything else about this airline anywhere on the internet. Maybe, I mean, the Cyprus Mail is one of the papers I used to read there. It's pretty, I mean, it's not the... Uh, it's not in the New York Times, but I mean, it's pretty cool to read it. It's usually accurate. Uh, so I, I haven't read anything else either. Uh, from my experience, when I was based in Cyprus, so there was a for Cyprus Airways, we went down because the, basically the European Union said they were getting way too many subsidies just to survive. Ironic. Honestly, having lived having lived in Cyprus, I could see why. I mean, there was uh, the, the 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 pay the pay were was way too high for that airline. It was you know it's small island, a lot of you know political connections. Who gets that job? Who gets the other? I'm not talking about pilots here. I'm talking about management. Even pilots, I think, were very paid very well. And the uh, there was another airline at some point that was competing for such a small island. Believe it or not, it was I think it was called Euro Cypria. Uh, that went down as well. I, 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 I don't recall the story. I think it was mismanagement. Obviously, it was just like there was not enough capacity for two airlines at the same time. So now getting a new one, obviously, uh, it's. Uh, I understand locally that they would want to have uh, separate airlines because basically now since Cyprus is gone, there's nothing else. You have a lot of links with BA, obviously, and I think KLM has one. And then, of course, all the low costs that go in the summer. But it's a very tough market to win. And especially there was one line in that article that we will share that says, uh, the airline promises to have the best attributes from both low cost and full service carriers. For <laughs> me, that sounds a bit like, okay, we're neither or we both, but yeah. that just doesn't sound right. That's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, I don't have my, my, my hopes very high, but I mean, out of pure uh, heart, because I used to live there, I, I would love them to have uh, to have an airline. But we'll see. I, I will, we'll 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 follow up on that story. But I have absolutely no idea if uh, this is something that's truly happening. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I I'm s skeptical. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna use the same term here. And sorry for my separate friends when I do that. I'm not here bashing the country. <laughs> uh, going back to the U.S. Uh, with a, an iconic building at JFK, Alex. Yes. Yeah, so the wonderful, amazing, pseudo-futuristic TWA terminal that has been um, protected, thank goodness, even though it's been empty for years and years and years, there is a plan to turn it into a hotel by JetBlue, of all people. So JetBlue oh, wow. are partnering with a property developer in the US to turn this wonderful, iconic structure into a hotel which is good because i think it'll mean that that 
that building lives on in perpetuity. I hope that it stays not just preserved outside, but as much as they can inside. When layovers was predominantly a blog, I posted a photo very early on of what it used to look like in its in its glory days. And it really was just an extraordinary piece of architecture and industrial design. It's, it still is, even if you're looking at it from the outside, but it kind of, it's, it's part of this growing trend of airlines wanting a chunk of the hotel yeah. industry. You had mentioned that uh, the hotel at Heathrow. At Heathrow was, uh, was being bought by Qatar Airways. I think it was Qatar or Etihad bought it. Uh, and JetBlue are jumping on this bag. Now they haven't, sought permission they haven't won a bid but it looks like that they're the front runner to to make this conversion so i'm i'm pleased i love JetBlue, and if anything they can do to make this uh inject some money into this wonderful structure and it is i mean even if it wasn't in an airport and we were totally nerding out over it somewhere else it is an extraordinarily beautiful and wonderful building and i'm so glad that there's going to be a positive use for it and it doesn't just because it's it's not it's not being used at all right right now no it just it just sits there um with every sort of the the monstrosity of of jfk rising up around it as it sits there in the dark yeah it's like you said it's a it's a it's a a growing trend actually i had read another piece of news last week uh, in chelan airport in in seoul uh was actually going even further than just you know linking airports with the um hotels they were they were they are planning to build a fully integrated entertainment area surrounding the airport where the hotel casinos everything will be completely linked with the airport in a way it's like because when you think about for instance what uh singapore shangi is doing with a more like shopping destination it looks like something that is growing to actually augment the experience of the airport uh which is something we don't really see in the u.s to be honest with you because usually in the u.s you want to get away from the airport as quickly as you can so uh, it's it's a trend it's pretty amazing that there was also and i posted uh, pictures a few months ago as well the plan for the new mexico airport which also looks like fantastic it also incorporates a lot of other stuff uh, which are in the uh, in the travel uh, in in your travel journey, mm-hmm. which are not linked with uh, with the air travel directly, hotels, etc. See, I think there's something here of, about making the airport as a both as a destination, airlines wanting also to have to extend the passenger experience beyond the security gates, basically. So um, uh, we'll see. It's it's interesting. But I mean, I love that this building will be saved at JFK because that the Aerosign and building is one of the most beautiful that that, that is so good uh going uh to uh, twitter so twitter we're all three on twitter i think the one that has the most followers is you dean uh <laughs> <laughs> you you went after i think you tweeted some stuff during ces uh earlier this year and suddenly your tweet uh, followers started ra- skyrocketing. it's right? gone a bit it's gone a bit crazy this year i think i was through uh, probably Partly intelligent use of hashtags, but mainly having stumbled across the correct hashtags, but simply because I'm actually interested in what everyone else seems to be. Um, it's yeah, it's got a little bit crazy. Um, so do you do you ever do you ever complain about airlines uh, via Twitter or about your experience at all on Twitter? Because a lot of people do that. This is why we say uh, Alex and I wanted to try to avoid bashing airlines in our podcast. But I mean, to be honest, they're not getting a very good reputation. But if you just follow the tweets, usually it's people like renting about a lost luggage, about a delay. About... So do you do that yourself? Yeah, I mean, well, it depends on the situation. You, rarely do I do an outraged 
outraged tweet. It, I'll <laughs> usually because I'll, I'll I will see it a little from the other guy's side. Um, you know, because we're so used to dealing with social media, it will be that I will give the first one that goes out there. I want to make sure that someone at the other end has got a chance to right to reply. Mm. Um, if they don't actually get, if it doesn't go anywhere, then I'll I'll copy in Richard Branson. But it's just, it's more a case of <laughs> Virgin are particularly good at actually picking up a conversation and running with it, and uh, wherever possible, kind of either diffusing the situation or pushing you in the right direction. Now, I'd say I, you know, we we launch enough apps into the world to understand that where you are just shouting into the abyss and lots of people are listening only to the angry voice um much like reviews on the app store um you, you really do want to kind of give people the opportunity at least to chip in early enough within that conversation but yeah i mean, rarely do i do i just complain about airlines i usually do understand that it's not usually them involved unless of course it's in the good old bad old days when it was just quite therapeutic to rant about someone like delta just because it was awful. <laughs> well, but actually, they're pretty good on, on, social, on Twitter. <laughs> they are. Honestly, they are. I fly there time. They are. Uh, so the reason I, I, I asked you that is because it was a tweet that led to uh, somebody being expelled from a plane. Uh, so it's, uh, the guy is named Chris Roberts. And he tweeted that, uh, I'm not going to read the tweet because it's a bit hard to say, but he basically tweeted that he was sitting in his seat and he was ready to hack into the system of the plane. <laughs> Uh, and obviously, uh, that was in a United flight, and obviously that led uh, that. Uh, and he's, he's a, uh, a cybersecurity expert, so he's not only someone who just says that in, in order to say it, but he, he, he and he has appeared on media talking about the possibility of planes being hacked through the IFE, the inter entertainment system, and other systems. And obviously, him tweeting that led to United basically banning him from flying. <laughs> what do you think, guys? I think it is childish for them to throw him off. I think he the tweet was definitely um, to get attention and, and promote. I mean, the guy knows what he's talking about. There's no doubt about that. He's a highly respected security analyst, but uh, and his job is to find vulnerabilities. And he's spoken a lot in the past about the vulnerability of interconnected systems on aircraft and how just because there's a kind of firewalling between the systems of IFE, uh, and any other mission critical or flight critical systems, that doesn't mean that someone who knows what they're doing couldn't, at, at the very least, view the data, if not um, interfere with it in some in some regard. So it seems like two kids fighting in the playground, this whole thing. It does. And it, it makes for a good story uh, on the news cycle. And talking about news story in the news cycle, there's another one that you wanted to talk about Alex because he exactly proves the point here. Yeah, so there was a thing yesterday that came up all over social and on the on the aviation message boards and forums that a and actually it came through uh FlightAware and FlightRadar24 and all of the flight tracking software is putting we're putting this out as well. And I think that they were just re regurgitating what they'd already heard, but there was a SkyWest flight which is uh, a subsidiary or partner of United Express. It was an E190 uh, pardon me, an E-175 that was reported to have had a depressurization, did a rapid descent and made an emergency landing after apparently uh, several passengers lost consciousness. And the immediate report was a door had come open and this caused the, the, the depressurization, which would it would cause a depressurization. So it was at 38,000 feet 
Apparently the door opened. Apparently there was a depressurization. Apparently a bunch of people lost consciousness. And this just spread like wildfire and people were analyzing the flight data and blah, 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 and going into debates about door structure, whether it was cargo door. Yeah, <laughs> so it turns out that somebody had just passed out. <laughs> there was no door issue. There was no depressurization. Uh, the FAA said there was a loss of cabin pressure, but SkyWest said, a passenger lost consciousness. There was no problem with the door. And they've never made any other on any other uh, comment about depressurization or anything like that. So the pilot thought, this is according to SkyWest, that he had a pressurization problem because a passenger passed out. Oh, I see. Okay. So he did the rapid descent just in case. So, he, you know, it, it sounds like he or she did the right thing. But... What, the point I'm trying to make by by telling this story, which is a non-story, is how quickly this misinformation can be spread. And Dan was vehement about this a couple of weeks ago when he talked about it, that the people that go on and talk about this are rarely experts. This misinformation spreads so quickly that uh, – and this is just a great example. I mean it sounds like the lady was fine and, and everything worked out well, but gosh, how quickly it turned into – a major motion picture disaster from just somebody passing out. <laughs> That's really crazy. Well, that Dean, you would have been able to uh, pitch that to one of the uh, executives in the movie industry you work with. But, <laughs> but it's, it's true that it goes really fast. The news cycle is like hungry, hungry for content all the time. These are the kind of stories, of course. Plus, you know, people have anxiety about flying. So the first beat of news you can hear about something going wrong in the plane is immediately picked up by every single person on the planet. Remember, I, I said, I think the story last week or two weeks ago about the video that was supposedly found on a smartphone on the German wing crash site, which supposedly showed uh, people just before they crashed. And actually, it was not related at all with that crash. It was an old video that somebody had just doctored. But the thing is, like, even the major in the publication just grabbed that video and put it on the, um, on the main page saying, look, this is how the people died. And you're like, wow, well, yeah. you know, it's a tough one. Uh, but aviation, it shows that aviation, you know, uh, is something that people are quite fascinated about, at least. Uh, talking about experts, so we might not be experts, but you, uh, Alex, uh, might be an expert about Manston Airport. <laughs> Tell us what is Manston Airport, so, because maybe I, nobody knows what it is. Certainly not an expert. I just have a soft spot for it for a couple of reasons. Manston is a airport, well, was an airport in Kent, which is where I live. It is predominantly, or was, gosh, you know, it's like mourning an old friend, uh, that was car <laughs> for cargo. It had an extremely long runway for its size and importance and location. Uh, it it's, was, a seven, it's the seventh largest runway for civil aviation in the UK, so it's pretty big. So actually. pretty sizable. Um, and it was used, like, like I said, for a lot for cargo. A lot of the big airlines used it for touch and goes, like with 747s, et cetera. They would fly it out there to do test engine run-ups. There was maintenance space there. It's also where I learned how to fly when I was an RAF cadet in my uh, troubled teens. But I, we would fly, <laughs> we would throw fifty-year-old uh, chipmunks around the sky, like not the animal, the airplane, around the sky uh, <laughs> <laughs> while you were having 747s do touch and goes in the pattern. So it's a wonderful airport. It was closed. It has it's had a troubled past in the last five years with changes of ownership, people not really sure what to do with it. 
transferred ownership. And now it's become kind of a, a volleyball in the upcoming general election here in the UK with both the conservatives and UKIP saying that they will reopen it. The government will, will buy it and turn it into an airline for low co- uh, an airport for low cost airlines and, and freight. Uh, it's important to UKIP because Nigel Farage, their, um, I'm not even going to use an adjective, their leader, also happens to be competing for the seat in which Manston uh, is is based. Oh, so he has that. a vested interest in this, which is it could be a huge employer in in that constituency. So oh, I, I hope that it reopens. I hope it does not take him getting, you know, I'm not even going to go, I'm not going to finish that sentence. I would love to see Manston open. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, let's not talk about politics <laughs> here, but does it really make sense to have like yet another London Airport, because at some point it was called Kent International Airport. That's very well. And also, for a very brief time, London Manston Airport. So yes, again, and- that London collect- connection here. And we have a lot of those around around uh, London, which are very, very far away, but still called London. So do you think it makes any sense there? I think there- it could be a good airport for what they're positioning as, which is, which is freight, cargo, and possibly lo- low-cost only because it's really close to Ashford International Station. So if you bridge that link between Ashford International High Speed Rail Station and the airport, getting into London actually wouldn't be as bad as it seems when you look at a, at a map. What is, uh, uh, Dean, what is your, the usual airport you fly from? Uh, Heathrow is my local. Um, so that's actually quite handy. Um, at the time that I fly is usually early enough in the morning or coming back late enough. So I don't have to contend with the M25, but uh, <laughs> it's it's not a bad little local airport, I must admit. I, I, actually, Alex, when you were saying just now about throwing chipmunks around, um, I, I was thinking about, and I, yeah, as, as Paul was thinking, my immediate thought was throwing actual chipmunks around. <laughs> um, but but my, my one experience of being in a small aircraft was when my parents mistakenly bought me a birthday gift of a flight in a tiger moth oh and man, see now cool. i i love flying and i have no fear of death now the problem is when i'm up high i want to throw myself off things so i spent the entire time in the aircraft wanting to throw myself out not because i hated it just because it was there and because right. you're essentially the whole thing is just open top and you're open to the elements. And I spent the entire God. time wanting to unstrap myself and <laughs> throw myself out of the plane with no parachute. <laughs> that is a bit weird, Dean. Yeah, I guess it's, it was, that is, it was yeah. the worst possible combination. No fear of death and somewhere up high that I yeah. could throw myself out. <laughs> oh, wow. So did you, so did you, uh, it was a one time lesson. You never continued like taking lessons of flying. No, right? I'd probably like to fly something really fast or dangerous or with weapons, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Uh, for me, actually, it was Cyprus. But I'll tell the story in another episode where we'll talk about that airport, the Larnaca Airport. Uh, staying in the UK, and sorry for the, for the audience who is not in the UK, but that could impact you. You've heard Alex rant many, many, <laughs> many times about that one. Uh, in the UK, when you buy a ticket, we have uh, you, you have the usual taxes when you buy on the airline, the fuel surcharge, and whatever other tax. But there's one that is very specific to the UK called the air passenger duty tax, which Alex hates. Uh, I, I'm saying that one one more time here. Uh, but there's been just a change, so uh, they change the tariff every year. But this time, the change is a bit more profound, so they didn't do away with it, sadly. 
but they've reduced the number of bands. It used to be that uh, if you were flying from zero to 2,000 miles, you had one tariff, then 2,000 to 4,000, 4,000 to 6,000, and more than 6,000. Now this has been reduced to uh, zero to 2,000 and over 2,000, which means that basically if you, uh, if you used to be flying between two and 4,000 miles, now you pay more, uh, but if you flew less, you pay less. And for those who have families, and I know you both guys have kids, uh, children under 12 will not pay any air passenger duty tax starting the 1st of May next month. And uh, that will expand in the next year for uh, kids under 16. So, Alex, because you Hooray. really love that debate, what do you think about that? I think it's Besides a it <laughs> small step in the right direction. I'm amazed, actually, this hasn't become a little bit more um, important in the, in, the, in the general election because for a while there, it was a pretty heavily politicized um, piece of legislation. But it's good. I mean, it, it is such a nefarious and unnecessary uh, tax fee burden on the traveling public and the airlines have been pushing hard to abolish it because we're we have the highest certainly the highest in europe and i think only the u.s comes anywhere close to having something like this but uh, I'm, gl I'm glad we're moving slowly away from it and i hope it's just to to ease out of it slowly and this isn't the only change that we get did you did you know that we have an air duty uh, passenger duty tax uh, dean or you were not aware about it at all? I just assumed everything was massively taxed anyway, and it's just some more money to spend. Yeah, it's but a because substantial the, the point chance. that Alex makes the the big Alex the point that Alex makes a lot is to say that if you actually want to buy a ticket from a destination from the UK, just look at air, nearby airports from uh, Dublin, for instance, or from Amsterdam, and you could go to the same final destination. Of course, it has to be kind of medium to long haul; otherwise, it doesn't make sense. The same destination with for much less because of that single tax. Yeah, that well, that's it's good. Not that you want to do that for work, probably, but it could no. make sense if you buy multiple tickets for your for, for your entire family. It could actually make sense. Well, definitely, I mean, some of you know the, the ridiculous prices, particularly during school holidays, are the bits that are stopping us as a family or going to the states. Because once you get to the states, great, <laughs> you know the, the the amount of connections and useful things that we can do as a family when we're over there is is remarkable these days but it's just the ridiculous cost in a summer holiday or whenever even an easter holiday have taken and a family of four or over um it's just cost prohibitive yeah it's it's crazy uh, just uh just to see the price so that people have an idea uh if you fly over two thousand miles uh you would pay if you're in a coach basically 71 pounds in this ticket and if you are in any other class 142 pounds uh, for each ticket, so that's that amounts quite a bit of money, actually. Uh, yeah. If you if you if you look at the very Alex has been uh, has found some amazing prices to go to Tokyo and other places, and if you just add that little bit, that's just like increases the price by a lot, actually. Yeah, it's it's crazy. The the Bel Belfast airport actually has made a a, a call for the, the tax to be abolished, and they've hired consultant. They made a report and say that actually there's no economic benefit in in maintaining it. So as you said, Alex, we can hope that this will be uh, uh, history and memory. I hope so. Uh, so moving uh, to the uh, innovation news of the week, something that is more in the ballpark of Dean. First, Chewy, we're home. Who has seen the trailer? Yeah, who hasn't seen the trailer? <laughs> I want you to email me and explain yourself. 
<laughs> Dean, you have a connection with Star Wars. Well, so, so yeah. Tell us kind of quickly. Tell us because we're going to go maybe a bit further uh, later. But what kind of stuff do you do with with Disney now that they own the Star Wars franchise? Okay, well, we produced the Star Wars Scene Maker app for Disney pretty much this time last year, or a little, yeah, a little bit less than a year ago. Um, and the you know when they approached us first to create the app, the, the great opportunity was that they had just bought Lucasfilm. And it was a bit like, what do we do now? And that, what a, what an wow. amazing opportunity and brief and kind of open-ended opportunity. So the, the Scene Maker app itself started out unrecognizable from what it is now. And initially it was about, you know, the tour of the Obi-Wan ranch, a look around George Lucas's desk and then the rummage almost literally, but it's not digitally into all of the content and the backgrounds of everything for the films changed unrecognizably to the point that we actually got to release because what we you know that was great because he was using lots of existing assets and, and all of the history and by all means that kind of thing may still emerge but what we kind of came around to was that we had so many great ideas about how interactively you could actually you know bring that stuff to life that actually the, the focus changed to what if you could actually recreate the iconic scenes from the movies um, so we kind of That's we pushed awesome. the history to one side, and it was about you know the the trench run and you know I am your father, all of all of those iconic <laughs> moments, uh, all, all of those things that you can you know the app allows you in full three D, fully immersive, to create them as you know exactly as they happened. However, the fun starts when you start to have an Ewok saying I am your father, or you actually start to recreate those scenes <laughs> exactly as if you're you know you're genuinely directing them. And I guess the beauty of it is we've we've sort of added and added and added the scenes building up as we are at the moment. And the and you know, a great run up all the way to the movie as it's released at Christmas. So uh, the challenge obviously after that is how quickly does a new scene become iconic? Um so we've all seen that trailer. Almost that trailer is iconic now. Uh, the oh, other yeah. times that yeah, we've yeah. watched it. I even ordered my T shirt today with <laughs> Chewy <laughs> We're home. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I think that if they had released that, that 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 trailer as a standalone movie would have been a hit at the box office. People would have paid just to go watch Definitely. a two minute trailer. Well, I think that uh, it, it was the collective sigh of relief as well because we'd already seen the very very short teaser, and correct. that in itself with a three prong lightsaber, whatever, we all kind of thought, well, yeah, it's a good sign. But when you saw that trailer, it was like, it wasn't just this is brilliant. It was like, oh, it's, it's going to be brilliant. Um, it, it was, the, you know, there was so much weight on an expectation that it wasn't going to be another one of those three, um, that we weren't going to end up with some kind of CGI mashup. But, you know, yeah. I think we've I think we've kind of covered that. And, and it might even do better than Fast and Furious 7. <laughs> what you want, which tells you a lot. I mean, I forgot to tell you to the guys who are listening to us. Uh, Dean is also into cars. Well, we'll get to that a bit later. Uh, another form of transportation. Uh, so Star Wars. So not only the trailer was obviously released, um, uh, but the the day was released. ANA, so the Japanese airline, is one of the airlines that has a five star rating on Skytrax. It's a very very high quality airline. Announced a five year deal with Star Wars, the Star Wars franchise. We don't know the exact content of the deal. We know that we would lead up to 2020, which is basically up to the release of the third uh, of the three upcoming movies of the franchise. I mean, I know, Dean, there's others in the three, but let's just stick to the three ones. But what they've shown is pretty amazing. They've actually shown it's only CGI for the moment, but they will actually disguise an entire uh, Dreamliner 787 
into R2T2. It was amazing. How cool is that? It was amazing. And there were my favorite headline in all the coverage here was the uh, this says ANA releases a Star Wars plane and subsequently breaks the internet because people just went nuts for this. And it looks great on a 787, it doesn't it? I mean, yes. it's just the yeah. perfect plane for it. It is brilliant. I want to see if they do a Wookiee with actual hair on the outside. <laughs> and do actual hair, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure either. I mean, we don't have any clue about what's going to be in the inside of the plane. We just It's a library. It will be a unique, apparently a unique plane that will fly international routes. Uh, it's a 78710, so because they're the launch customer. So we... I just hope that it will come to London because I will clearly just find an excuse to take it because I want to see it. I hope that they do something more. But knowing the Japanese, it might, it might do that. It will do something inside the plane as well. I'm not sure, though, if, if the plane will make those iconic sounds R2 does, but it would be really cool as well, especially for our friend Dan at uh, San Francisco Tower, if he has to translate those sounds into actually what the pilot means yeah. anyway. <laughs> Those, those flight attendants in cosplay is going to be brilliant. <laughs> uh, I think the worry also is that if they do a Darth Vader, then it's going to look like a massive flying penis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Though, uh, what, the one thing uh, when I posted, because I, I did a quick blog post about this on layovers, and uh, when I posted this, I had a few reactions from people, and some people were like a bit like, why would they do it? Uh, and my take, I don't know if you agree, Alex, is to say that, I mean, ANA is a very high quality brand, but still a, a brand that you, you relate with Japan. And so most people that will go to Japan might not think first, I'm going to use ANA to go to Japan. It will take whichever other airlines, usually their flag carrier or another. And I think ANA wants to grasp the imagination of people saying, oh, we are not only a Japanese airline, we're a global airline. And here is a franchise that you loved tells you about that do you think it's the case alex yeah my question is why wouldn't you i mean you're right i mean it's 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 a it's an expensive bet in some regards but oh i'm sure we don't have the, the price tag here but i'm sure it's really expensive but no i think it makes total sense it was a very good idea why not yeah why not exactly oh uh, we'll follow up with that i'm sure there's two websites i mean i'll put all the links uh, the website that was also extremely well done uh if you're a star wars fan you want to check them out uh, moving to a story that Alex has been telling us a few episodes ago, he was telling us about how his Southwest experience was, especially about the IFE, and we got an email from Michael Fuller uh, thanking us to, 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 to talk about this, and he, he related a story about a chat he was having about that same Southwest IFE. The point here is, and it's nice to have Dean here in front of me, is that one of the questions he had in that email is said, Okay, so more and more of the airlines are moving away from having a screen, Dean, in front of you, and you, they will more and more apparently rely on you bringing your own device and linking it to the stream of the airplane. His question is, how do we deal with batteries? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I... How do you deal with batteries? So I, I, I never leave home without three spare batteries. Um, so I've always got one pretty heavy-duty one and a couple that I can always drop into a pocket. That... <laughs> Wow. I mean, that's 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 enough maybe for a flight it's not really I mean, it's, it's even that time you I still get range anxiety um I mean, yeah I mean, if if they're supplying usb ports then not yeah, such that's an issue point, and yeah. that's more the case with with seats these days uh, i guess the <laughs> the thing i don't know whether we'll come onto it later but i'll raise i'll raise the issue now 
the with the, the the point of personal entertainment is that I was I was speaking to someone um, that works in the US as with a augmented reality glasses company, and he said that he was flying first class. He um, still had watched all the movies before, and he realised that the little screen in front of him was still a little screen in front of him. What he wanted was to put on his augmented reality headset, which he did. He'd already had three or four films downloaded onto the headset that he hadn't seen before and sat there with the equivalent of a 52-inch screen in front of him in full 3D, um, which is amazing. Um, now, the, the question is, you know, we're, we're a long way from everyone having their own personal headset. There's a, there's a definite possibility for, for first class, business class. Now, I know people like Qantas are already introducing yeah, with, with VR Samsung. headsets. Yeah, yeah. With Samsung, um, yes. Which is great to a point. I, that's a real, that, that's a headline grabber, a bit like R2D2 airplanes. Um, 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 but it's it's something that, you know, I've, I've had my head in these things long enough now to know the amount of time that you can comfortably spend in those is it's not even the duration of a film. So it's something to dip in and out of. It's, it's nowhere near a replacement for in-flight entertainment. That's really um, interesting. But also it's, you know, one of the, one of the problems, the restrictions of using VR is, okay, if you're just watching a film, fine. Um, if you're trying to play a game, what you want to do is start looking around and potentially move around or sit in a swivel chair. You haven't got that. No matter how much you pay for your ticket price, unless you stand up, that's going to cause a whole world of problems. Um, but the thing is... Well, you know, well, well, you know, hold that thought because we'll come <laughs> back to VR. Now, honestly, we'll come back to VR because there's a few bits of news that we'll come back to VR. Uh, I'm going to go gradually in the innovation bit to start with what we have. But I, I, I read some stories related to that and we'll, we'll come to that. But it's true that going back to, to, the, to the, the, the bit, uh, for instance, and we'll also talk about the, uh, the, the Apple Watch, which is going to be released tomorrow, actually, uh, we're recording today on Thursday. But the, the gut of the email, he said, uh, the, uh, Michael Fuller said, uh, like, he, has a, he imagines he has a long flight. Does he have, does he have enough battery to have the, the, the flight, uh, the, the, the boarding pass on his watch? to arrive to use the watch during the flight and then to order an Uber when he actually arrives at the end of the whole experience and wants to go. To, and he says, will the watch actually hold enough yeah. power? And and we all know that it might not be the case, actually. It's, right? a, it's a good question. I think I, it, for Southwest, it's less of an issue because they don't have many flights that are, are really, really long. And actually, what's cool about what they do is the night before your flight, they send you an email saying, hey, guess what? You're on a plane that has our Wi-Fi streaming service, so make sure your battery is charged. <laughs> oh, nice. And then, you know, you, I guess you could assume that on longer flights, on intercontinental flights, the chances of you having either a plug or USB go up substantially if the airline is sophisticated enough to have a streaming Wi-Fi infrastructure anyway. So yeah, I, well, well, yeah, I, agree. I don't know if this is going to be as much of an issue but it's something that also the airline can say, yeah, not my problem. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. But we'll, we'll get to that because we have a few bits of news about both Wi-Fi and battery. But the, do you remember we had a story, Alex, where we said, and maybe Dean, you, you were not aware of that, where Scoot introduced a system. It's a low-cost airline based in Asia where you have a plug on your seat, but you have to pay to use it. So that's another <laughs> revenue for the for the airline. Why not? After Honestly, if I had, if, if my choice is limited to not having any power or paying, maybe I don't remember how much it was, maybe five, $10 for power, I would actually pay for it, honestly. Um, and 
you might know because both of you also travel in the US, the TSA now mandates that all your uh, devices have to be charged when you pass security. They want to be able to see that they actually work. Uh, which for you, uh, Dean, might be an issue because you have made, must have like two thousand with you. Dean, uh, have you job. ever have you ever run into that? Because you travel to the U.S. quite a lot. Have you ever gone through security and been asked to power up one of your devices? Yep. Really? Yeah, it, it, oh wow. Yeah, yeah no, I, I have had that, and it, it was it was ironically with the Android phone because my iPhone is my main phone. I had an Android phone with me as well, and that was off in my bag, so it, that had to be powered up and then he started to obviously investigate all the other things so there was another there was another ipad oh and another ipad oh and can you now get check up both of your laptops so it's a normally when i go through these the detectors it's like a road kind of device road train anyway wow. um, but, but they it, i think you could see the the look that had started as if he was quite suspicious that i had a device that wasn't switched on it, he was quite amused by the end um, but it, yeah, you can see the point that if you've got a bunch of devices with a, a, a cavity inside that could hold a battery, then why couldn't it hold something else slightly more suspicious? Do they do, do they ever ask you the same thing for all the smartwatches you carry? Because you have a lot of smartwatches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm usually broken or lost most of them anyway, so I, I'd have a hard time powering most of them up. But um, yeah, they're usually on. So it's not usually an issue, but um, in theory, they're telling the time. Uh, in in reality, not always the case. So, okay, uh, that's interesting. Apple Watch, yeah, I, I, it would last. It would last a flight. Um, to give you an idea, some of the the early reports were that you might get about eighteen hours out of it. In our testing conditions, we've managed to get well over twenty four hours, and that's with probably Whoa. more use than a regular daily stab at the screen. Um, so oh, wow. I would alleviate a lot of people's fears. I think what you'll see are some, probably some slightly panicky headlines over the next few weeks when people have got a brand new toy to play with and they are massively overusing it because everyone that they meet that hasn't got one will want to see it or what it does. Um, and then they'll get, I don't know, they may get to those 18 hours through the day and they'll find they've got to recharge, but it's not really Apple's fault. As, as, as convenient as the headlines will be to point those fingers, uh, under normal use, um, even normal to heavy user, it will still last you beyond the day. Oh, wow. Okay. That's good to well, know. That's really Yeah, Dean, we didn't know that because you were, I know you, since you're working with Apple, I'm sure you were able to have your hands on this already. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, talking about this, actually talking about charging your devices, there was uh, an article the other day that I read or that uh, the FAA, so that's still, we're talking about the US, but this news could be about any type of uh, uh, countries. Um, uh, ah, how do you call these guys who uh, give make the rules for, the, for aviation? They, they say that there's no actual regulation how to charge devices, meaning especially during landing and takeoff, you could, and that's the article that says, you could actually trip over a cable because your phone, for instance, is being charged. And in, in, in case of an emergency, that could be dangerous. And there, there are some calls for the FAA to look into it. It could make some kind of rules to say, maybe they should just ban you from char charging your devices during takeoff and landing and taxiing, obviously, or not. What do you think about that, Alex? It's interesting. Uh, I think this this is one of those things that we're only going to learn 
through experience. Um, I, on my flight a couple of days ago, they make an announcement as, as Virgin have done for a couple of years now, from what I can remember, saying specifically, don't charge anything that generates direct heat. Uh, don't leave it oh. plugged. So like, don't plug in a curling iron. Um, they should, they should actually uh, be more. Because mine passed through security, obviously. Well, they should be clearer about it, frankly, because when it, my phone, when I plug it in, it gets hot. So if they say don't plug in a curling iron, it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I shouldn't plug in a curling iron. When we launched Virgin America, we were one of the first airlines to have seats. We had to do things like don't plug in a hairdryer because it would piss off everybody on the airplane. Don't use a blender because that would be dangerous. Don't use, you know, things that can generate heat directly. And you only learn these things like, you know, every warning label, don't swallow this because some moron did it. So you had to put a label on. I think with these things, it's like, oh, yeah, we actually didn't think about some of the downsides. And this sounds like one of them. So yeah, the, the fact that they're yeah. being reasonably proactive is staggering to me. I think United has been banning such uh, charging uh, from takeoff and landing for already for quite a That's while. That's very smart. Yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, I wouldn't like to be seated next to Dean with like 25 different cables, <laughs> just like if there's an evacuation process. I'm like, how the hell do I get out of here? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to sit next to the cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly. By the way, and we'll come to that later, because that could also be a, an issue with having a VR headset, because if you're not aware of your surroundings at all in terms of emergency, somebody has to kind of wake you up and tell you, hey, remove that thing now because we're actually crashing. Or it could soothe you if you actually are crashing and there's no way you're going to survive. Actually, maybe you could you can uh, uh, do your last minutes. Uh, and I'm sorry to be not very nice here, but last minutes thinking about something else. Uh, back to the the news. Um, uh, there's more and more actually. Uh, have you have you ever found Wi-Fi in a European aircraft, guys? Has there any been any Wi-Fi offered in the US? It's pretty now. Uh, I remember normal. Lufthansa had it years ago we're talking 10 15 years ago they were the first and only and it was actually plug in to the seat this is before wi-fi but i can't think wow you had your dial-up modem with you and you <laughs> basically it. yeah you were using satellite phones to do it but they offered it um i i couldn't tell you i don't think i've ever seen it available on a european carrier yeah, so apparently Lufthansa is now looking into installing Wi-Fi in, on its uh, sh short to medium haul uh, in Europe, BA wow. as well, thanks to technology. So that could be nice actually to have because it's something that we really don't have over here. So uh, It's becoming the norm in the US, certainly. And we've talked about this being a geographic and an infrastructure. I mean, it's a, it's a closed environment in the US, so a bit easier for them, but this would be wonderful. Yeah, because apparently the uh, the system that is being used in a, is a hybrid air to ground. So you can actually, depending on where the air, aircraft like is, you actually, yeah, exactly. So um, talking about that, there's a, a very short, briefly, a Honeywell and Inmarsat are working together to actually use the Inmarsat network of satellites to bring also Wi-Fi Clever. to planes. And that would mean that you'd have, then you don't have any problems if you're on the sea or not, because you would, Inmarsat kind of works almost everywhere on this planet. So you'd have a, some kind of uh, of Wi-Fi everywhere. I mean, they're just being tested now, but that I'm pretty sure that's where we're going. Yeah. Uh, talking of GoGo, because you just mentioned GoGo, GoGo has made a study about who actually uh, pays for Wi-Fi. Did you do you pay for Wi-Fi, Dean, when you're on a flight in the US? Uh, well, yeah. It, it depends if I, if I want to switch off completely, then I will not 
plug into it at all and I'll just sit there watching film. Um, if I want to have any kind of connection or I haven't brought, for some reason, my spare batteries aren't charged and I want to have my phone switched off and my laptops, then, yeah, I won't. But it, it, what in-flight Wi-Fi is, is, is really interesting at the moment because I've been dabbling with Periscope and Meerkat for a few months now. And kind of meerkats dropped so by these the wayside. Are, these are for those who don't know. These are uh, live streaming application. You live yeah. stream from your phone a video. Um, and it, I, the thing that interests me is it, it's it's slightly morbid, um, but oh god! <laughs> <laughs> so I said I would go off on plenty of tangents, but the um, with Periscope, imagine if you're live streaming from a plane that's going through any kind of dramatic situation. Um, that's not relying on hoping that the kit survives should it ever have an impact or should there be some kind of dodgy individuals on the plane. That's live broadcast. I mean, that there's genuine news, life-changing opportunities for something that is live streamed, both good and bad. I mean, it's entirely uncensored. Um, so you've got to make sure that whoever's watching it knows what they're letting themselves in for, but also the individual knows what they're letting themselves in for because there's all sorts of libelous situations that could occur from this. But I mean, it just you know, it's a point that occurred last time I was on a plane and I was thinking about what would I do in that situation. And the first thing I would do would be live streaming whatever was going on. I wouldn't be saving it for posterity. In should I come out the other side, um, I'd want to make sure that everything was out there. Oh God! <laughs> no, I mean it's a good point. I th uh, two things come to mind, which is one was the JetBlue A three twenty that had the uh, the nose gear that was wouldn't come up and was stuck, and that made the spectacular and successful, ultimately successful landing in LAX uh, about ten years ago. And that for the passengers, they were all what the planes had live TV, so the plane the passengers were all watching themselves on CNN. And of course, you have all of these <laughs> these quote unquote experts basically saying they're doomed. They're they're doomed. <laughs> so these poor people. And then I was I, I when Wi-Fi first came out on planes, I was taking a flight from San Francisco to L.A. and I was skyping with my wife just to go. Isn't this cool? We're skyping at thirty eight thousand feet, and we hit major turbulence just for a fraction of a second, but we fell like a rock. And I and she saw it, watched the whole thing, and heard everybody's could have. No one screamed. Maybe one person did, but everyone sort of did the collective gasp yes, and looked yeah, at each other. Yeah. And what the hell just happened? Um, to the point, you know, where engine pitch changed and all of that. It was pretty spectacular. I thought, and I th had the same thought that you had, Dean. I was like, the first thing, if anything goes weird, I'm like, this is going to get me so many followers on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's interesting to uh, to, to the, 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 going back to that study. It's interesting to see how. Although it's more prevalent to have Wi-Fi in a U.S. aircraft, the interest from consumers is mostly found outside the U.S. Uh, Asian consumers, European consumers are not only the ones that are more, more, most interested to have Wi-Fi, but also the most ready to pay for Wi-Fi on flights. And thus, probably this is why Lufthansa or BA here in Europe are trying to push it because they know that there is an interest and people will actually pay for it. What, um, so, Dean, on the flights that you've taken, what has been the price point for Wi-Fi? Uh, it's never been that high. It's been something between five and eight dollars, I guess. Never anything higher than that. Yeah, that that's what I experienced. South, Southwest was eight bucks for the entire flight, and that included streaming. No, the TV was free. It was just for the Wi-Fi. Was was eight bucks, and I know that mm. some of them are like sixteen bucks for the whole day and things like that. But how did you find the speed? Um, I, even when I've used it, I've never bothered to do anything that's been particularly taxing. I wasn't, um, so, so I haven't done the periscope test yet. 
but it was it was pretty much emails and and social everything else but um it it was fine um I, you know i can sit anywhere else in the world and, and be slow but i was equally slow on a plane it's interesting and i think that the the infrastructure that the airlines pick is is pretty telling because the the air to ground or ground to air whatever you want to call it which uses modified cell tower or cell infrastructure has a lower latency so things like skype and and facetime and all that stuff work pretty well but when it's satellite based the latency is is pretty high so those types of things don't don't work so well and they the, they take up an inordinate amount of broad ba- of bandwidth as well so it's interesting to see which airlines choose which infrastructure based on on cost and experience and i'm sure more and more hybrid solutions will exist the only thing i'm gonna say here is i don't want to be on the same flight as dean not because he would actually <laughs> live stream the flight but because he would actually end up using all the broadband <laughs> and all the bandwidth <laughs> <laughs> also, I would have you, all my devices switched on and the plane would probably crash anyway because there's, there's so much <laughs> interference. They are talking, you both mentioned, Alex, you mentioned the story uh, about w- watching yourself on CNN and you also talked about TV. And I I think, in, uh, and I read an article about that, that live TV is one of the biggest thing in, uh, in aircraft for, in the future. Uh, there is, I mean, it's been available on some um, on some airlines, especially in the U.S. I was lucky to fly during the 2010 World Cup on Emirates, and it, there was also live games. And then there's uh, there's an article here where they interview uh, one of the guys at Panasonic Avionics, where these guys where they make the IFE and they offer live sports, especially. And he says live sports. Every time you offer live sports. They have metrics that show that people really love watching. Of course, the World Cup was the, not the 2010 this time, the, the one last year. He basically said that every single time they were offering a game on a flight, well, basically, even though you were not into soccer, pretty much the entire plane was watching the soccer game. So they, the live sport has some quality, and they're they're even ending having issues now because most of the most of the the IFEs will only offer you one channel live sports, and now they have. They want to push more content. They want to push, you know, the the, the the English Premier League. They want to push the Bundesliga, which is the major uh, soccer league in in Germany. The one in in Spain, for instance. They would need to have actually more channels to do that. So, do you think is that something you guys do? Do you ever watch sports in a plane first, and do this something you would welcome? Uh, I personally wouldn't. I, 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 the, the thing furthest from my mind would be to sit on a on a plane with a bunch of sweaty England fans <laughs> in vests, drunk, well, they, then depressed and rioting when we lost every time. Remember, remember. Well, that's for the World Cup. But sports <laughs> includes also cars. Uh, oh, yeah, it could be sense. actually racing. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I, plane time for me is usually film catch up time. Um, or reading, and I top and tail that with a bit of takeoff landing. And if there's no in-flight entertainment, I may do some work at, at a push, simply because I love to have my knees up around my ears. So it's not the most conducive environment for that. But um, sports side of things, yeah, I'd, I'd be moderately interested. It's probably simply because I don't watch a lot of it in in real Alex, life. I sat flying back from Phoenix the other night. I had a beer. I was enjoying the wonderful view flying over California, watching the Yankees game. And I was like, what <laughs> a world we live in that I can yes, do correct. this. This is amazing. Yeah. And I, you know, I like baseball you just to watch it. But the fact that I could do that was so like almost romantic to me. I, I, I love it. I think it's cool. 
Yeah, me too. When I was in that in that plane from Emirates and I had watching the World Cup, because I really thought I would just miss that game. And I was like, what? It's there? So cool. And it was like a 10-hour flight or something, and I could watch the game. And then the second one as well, because it was 10-hour flight. Anyway, uh, JetBlue, West, uh, WestJet, Frontier, uh, our airlines that offer live sports already, Etihad, as I mentioned, Emirates. Emirates even has a... Uh, sponsor deal with uh, with uh, FIFA, which is the head uh, league of uh, soccer, Lufthansa United. Uh, so there are many, but I think we'll see more and more. Though I agree with Dean, I don't want to see sweaty supporters in the plane all you know shouting at the same time. <laughs> give them a give them a VR headset to quiet down. I will <laughs> go to that. <laughs> Uh, very quick, very quickly. There was, uh, you know, last week we talked a lot about seats. I know that Dean, you listened to the show last week, so we're not going to talk about seats. But there <laughs> has been one thing that I didn't see last week. I saw this week. That is, uh, so you know, you have your iPad or any type of tablet, and you can actually, and you have in front of you your little, your little tablet, which is not a tablet, the tablet off the seat where you can put the tray on. And there's this company that came up with a dock. So it's uh, the dock is. So you can actually put your iPad on that tray in front of you and it charges in the same time. It keeps it in a nice position to watch what or work. Do you think it's a good idea? Yeah, I guess no? so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean we've, we've sort of covered <laughs> you, the fact that you, you may have charging issues and it does cover that. For it, you know, it, it, in theory, it's the future because those in-flight screens could well be could well I say that could well be iPads. We went through a phase where, much like everyone wants to an app on a watch, um, everyone wanted to integrate tablets into whatever potential environment was involving a, a touchscreen of some sort. Um, that seems to I mean, you guys are more into your planes than I am, but I don't think I've yet been on a plane that's had a built-in tablet. It's it's all it's still a screen. Yeah, uh, some of the the. Paul, what do you want to call them? The all the all business class carriers that are using very old airplanes. Yeah, uh, La Compagnie. La Compagnie and uh, what's the um, British Airways one called? The uh, Open Open uh, Skies. Open, open Skies. Yeah. They are using 757s for what you know operational reasons, but they don't have built-in IFE. They have they give you a tablet which is loaded up with content. Um, they don't have yeah. any connectivity or anything like that. That's the only instance where I've seen it. And there are quite a lot of modern IFE systems that offer you the ability to plug your uh, uh, iPhone or iPod, if you have one, into the IFE system and then play your own content on their big screen. But it, that seems totally redundant to me. I don't want my content. I'm paying you a lot of money <laughs> to have a wonderful IFE experience that you've create, curated for me. I mean... Actually, actually, when you say that, that, that brings me to another piece is is that I don't know if you guys, if you've been, especially in some older airplanes and sadly, again, especially in the US, I see sometimes some type of connectors that I don't even know what they are in for. I mean, some of the connectors <laughs> from the 70s or something. And, it's, uh, and this is another problem because even if you just talk Apple, Apple has been moving away from the 30-pin uh, connector and you still find even modern planes that have this connector and not the new Lightning, whatever the name is. So uh, I, there's a, a problem with connectors here, and there's the article that I mentioned that I will put the link uh, uh, in the in the show notes says, and I think they're right that we should just move to USB for everything because at least USB is a kind of universal. You can basically charge your device with USB, maybe not a laptop, but at least at least uh, the, the mobile devices. And you have because honestly, I, I even saw you know the three you know the yellow. Uh, 
um, yes, yeah. black and red. Uh, so you could actually so you could edit plug your, your PlayStation your in 1996 the... videos on it or what? Yeah, something. someone with a portable DVD player and yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, and and I saw that in very modern aircraft. So meaning that why do you do they even offer the possibility? I'm not going to walk into a plane with my Xbox. I mean, <laughs> crying out loud. Now, now you've said that, I might just go in and say, I'm going to have to find somewhere that I can plug in the most ridiculous piece of AV equipment just because the, the sockets are there. <laughs> but anyway, that's a that's a future of the seat. I think we'll see more and more, uh, hopefully, have power. The other, the other thing is also lots of aircraft have power that are 1A. So basically, it's the amount of uh, wattage that it gives you. And it's true that nowadays it'd be nice to have two A, which is a higher wattage. It gives you more power because our devices are becoming more power hungry. And some of the o- older connectors, even I mean, even if it's U- a USB, just just do not offer enough power. Especially if then, like Dean, you connect twenty of them on their single seat, then <laughs> suddenly the, the plane yeah. shuts down because <laughs> there's no more power. <laughs> but I, I think part of the pro- I think part of the issue with not supplying or not moving on from that that you know, that utopia, that tablet utopia that everyone was going, oh, they're all going to have iPads and things built in, was I think it's it comes down to maintenance because as soon as you take that tech out of or make it removable from a, a, a seat, whoever's supplying, even if it's internal within your business, the maintenance of just a screen, and suddenly you've, you're faced with all of the update issues, the software updates, all of those things that go on independent of running an airline mm-hmm. um it becomes another set of problems so i think just having but, a screen yeah, reverse, built into us so, sorry but reversely mm-hmm. and i don't know alex had an experience with his own at southwest but reversely uh, you know an airline installs a system and you can just bring your own device i mean if everybody has an ipad it's easy because you have one device and you know that device is actually compatible with your system yeah, yeah the only but standard you, you have to accommodate is yeah. wi-fi because then the crew, the crew starts to become like Apple geniuses. Like they say, okay, why is your tablet not getting the signal that you can stream your movie? I mean, this is also another set of issues that come up. I mean, let's not talk about that for today. Um, what else do I want to? Yeah, since we mentioned the, uh, the, the you know, that tweet that got the, the, the guy expelled because he was talking about hacking. There is actually currently a report by the U.S. Government Accountability Office to say that airlines and aircraft manufacturers should actually look into the possible vulnerabilities of aircraft because there is actually probably a way for hackers to actually get into the systems. I don't, I'm not, Alex and I said that in another episode, we're not experts on cybersecurity, but people are thinking about it. It's not just science fiction. We should get, uh, there's somebody I know who designs IFE systems for a living. We should get him to at least comment on this to see you know i know he's not going to say yeah absolutely it's totally hackable but uh it would be interesting (laughs) to know at at the very least how if any of the systems are in any way connected yes because that's like what you said that was the primary thing to to separate the systems from entertainment from the main systems of the plane that is obviously to firewall them so they are not accessible from each other uh, talking about hacking, uh, have you seen that Lufthansa this time has been hacked? Or Miles and Morse sort of freaking flyer? <laughs> yeah, they're the second. So BA last couple of weeks ago we talked about. Yeah. And um, yeah. I got an email a couple of days ago from, and I want to make sure I get this right, Hyatt telling me, hey, you should probably, don't worry, no big deal, but a few people might have had their accounts accessed. So you should probably change your <laughs> password. 
So travel seems to and be I, a target. Yeah, and uh, on on the Lufthansa one, they've actually not only they hacked into the system, but they went into the accounts and they used the miles to make purchases. No way. <laughs> yes, apparently. <laughs> Wow! I haven't checked mine. I don't think. Uh, I don't think it. It has my number of miles lowered, and I'm sure actually they, uh, maybe Lufthansa had a backup system. But yeah. Well, here's a question: Have you been contacted by Lufthansa to to about this? Not, but I was traveling, so maybe I've missed the email. So I'm not going to say a no for sure, but I'll tell you next week. I'm going to check my emails because I'm always late on my emails. So no, I don't think so. But again, could have just missed it. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. But it's true that if they do, maybe they will say the same thing as Hyatt. Like, oh, just make sure it's nothing, it's nothing wrong. But, you know, again, like I like we said another time, uh, my, my credit card information is there. So it's maybe that's, the, that's the fr- sensitive that's the bit. bit that's actually worth worrying about. Yeah. So uh, airports, Helsinki has installed something that I've already seen in Abu Dhabi, which are sleeping pods. So I don't know if any of you uh, either has done that in his life before either on a layover or because you were very early to the airport. I don't know, why would you use that? Does he have a set of sleeping pods so you can actually go into some, it's like a round shaped object and you can have, it's a chair, but that surrounds you. There's no VR Dean in there. Uh, and you just can sleep uh, for, for a few hours. You pay, I think it's nine euro per hour you have because uh, airports are like low-cost airlines. If you want a pillow, it's six euros. And if you want a blanket, oh, it's God. nine euros on top. But basically, the idea is you can have you can be secluded in the airport so you don't have any noise and you can actually relax. Would you ever do this? Uh, sleeping you know. is for wimps. Um, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> I've never slept in an airport. <laughs> Actually, I've I've seen it. So actually, Mike Butcher was in Abu Dhabi airport the other day, and I saw that on Twitter. And he said, "What can I do?" I said, "Like go. It's a terminal. If you're ever in Abu Dhabi, uh, whoever is listening, terminal three, close to the gate thirty five, you'll see the same sleeping pods. Now they're being installed in Helsinki. I just went in one just to see what it was. I never, I didn't sleep in it. I just wanted to see. Okay, what is this? Well, basically, it's pitch black and you can sleep." Pretty, you know, sure, why not? Uh, still talking about airports. Do you, so I've, I mean, I know that Alex, you go into lounges from time to time. You were at Virgin's one in uh, Nithro. You posted a very nice video on Attaché, your other show, about a small secret of that uh, our lounge, which is they have a garden. Uh, but do you, Dean, go into any lounges? Do you have uh, st- status on your miles or you don't track your miles and you never got status? <laughs> I'm, I'm rubbish. I, you know, again, as, as geographically challenged as I am, I'm also quite bad at collecting miles. We've got hundreds of thousands with Virgin, but I've never used them yet. Oh, um, we need to have a conversation, Dean. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> we do. Um, but I, I used to, when traveling with others, I used to use lounges. I, I do most of my traveling on my own these days. And if I'm, I use my airport time to work and eat um so to be honest i kind of a it's kind of a waste of money for me i i will work and I'm, i don't really care what's surrounding me so i'll sit there typing away while there's some food sat next to me at a table and i'll have timed it well enough so that when i finish working i'll get up and go straight to the to the gate um yeah i'd love to go in more lounges um, no, the I reason I mentioned that is that Quantas just uh, changed its rules, apparently in Australia. I'm not sure it applies for all the Quantas lounges around the world, but they're basically asking now people to kind of 
dress up. Uh, so apparently, I don't know why the story started, but apparently more and more people were dressing. And it's very hard because what do you qualify being nicely dressed in a lounge nowadays? But apparently now they have made more stringing rules about uh, your appearance when you get into a lounge. What do you think about that, Alex? Is it something? Yeah, I, I spent my youth flying standby because my father was in the airline industry and that's that's the way we got around. And we always had to dress up just yeah, but that was a long time ago. It used to be the case. Now it's uh, also more acceptable as a society that you don't have to try. You can be a businessman in a startup. I owner, think it's right? still the case where if you're if you want special treatment, you dress for the part. Um, and I agree with that. And what I don't know if there were repeat infractions that or things that Qantas were having to deal with in the lounge where people were kind of like, yeah, that's. That's either gross or, but if it's well, there were bare feet, uh, clothing with off, uh, offensive images or slogans on them, so that's understandable. Bare feet. I mean, I, I mean, we live in the UK. I mean, it's too cold to have bare feet yeah. anyway. But, uh, that's a, I don't know. I mean, if it if it was, the, this seems like it could be a bit bit of a PR issue for Qantas with a, a negative reaction. So it, it must be quite a substantial problem. Or they had many of their premium passengers i.e people who had access to the lounge complaining about it and therefore they decided to take action the bare feet thing could have been they could have been hobbits <laughs> i mean that, that's discriminatory <laughs> yeah that's that's but, a good point you can't you can't discriminate against people from middle earth that's not cool yeah yeah so as soon as you said dressing up i just thought well can i go as Aptin in america and should, that, that, have they that i would love to test their, their boundaries with that Okay, now, uh, Alex, uh, to the app of the week. Uh, so we were out of ideas. I mean, there's a lot of apps we think about, and but we wanted them to be integrated in an episode where we talk about the more generic, uh, the, the, the topic around them. So this time, something very simple, to the point, but actually that saves your life a lot, Alex. Yeah, whenever we talk about the app of the week, I always want to go and talk about something that I've found genuinely useful recently. And this one has been fascinating to me. It's, it you're all familiar with Kayak, great, great uh, flight search and hotel search tool, but they have a, a feature, a tool, whatever you want to call it, that they hardly ever talk about. I think actually, Paul, it was you that told me about this. That's their fare alert. And so you can, you can sign up to be emailed when a price between two cities fluctuates, i.e. something that you've searched for, and it will keep an eye on it for you to see if it's dropped, which is cool in of itself. What I use it for is general price alerts for places that I might want to go primarily. And my motivation is find me cheap fares so I can fly to these places and shoot my other show attache. But I have three alerts set up. London to the top 25 cities in Asia, London to the top 25 cities in South America, and London to the top 25 cities in, in the Middle East. And once a week, I get an email with these are the best fares that we found. And you can you can cap them out and say, I don't want to spend more than X or um, I don't want to do more than you know one stop or or whatever, but the deals that have come through that would have taken me literally hours and hours of searching for have been staggering. I'll give you guys a couple of examples. So um, I am looking at Tokyo heavily, and Tokyo is in, Japan in general is notoriously expensive to get to from the UK. But these guys dug up uh london to narita for 392 pounds round trip all taxes and fees included and if you've ever tried to search for that flight you will have the same reaction that paul did uh london to beijing 266 pounds round trip 
amazing. I never would have found these things, or I, maybe I would have if I'd used every tool we've talked about in the 12 episodes of this show. So it's worth playing with, especially if you're just looking to go somewhere and you don't have fixed dates. I think that's where this is really useful. And the, the feature I mentioned at the beginning that my brother uses frequently is I, I know I'm going to a place on these very specific dates. I'm 90 days out. Keep an eye on the fares for me and let me know if you see anything. Like if it starts ticking up, I should buy. If it drops, I should also buy. So that's, that's worth it as well. So it, it's worth playing with. Yeah. Okay. So we'll put the link. I've, uh, it's true. I've never thought about, you just mentioned that. 20, top 25 cities in a continent. That's something I should actually Yeah, it's it's a it's Is it something is it something they offer? Or is it something you create? No, it's something that they offer. It's 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 very cool. It's you can specify oh, wow. cities, but I love that you can just do the region. I think that makes sense. Yeah, because well, I, I do that. I use alerts on Google Flights or uh, Hipmunk, but usually it's because there's that segment and I know I'm going to take it. So but having like a more generic kind of, oh, I want to go to Asia and just like give me the cool deals. This is something I never thought about. And it's, I mean, the, oh, the, way, the way that they do it is really smart. It's they're not going and doing a Google Flights and searching every possible combination. They're just collecting deals that users have found throughout the last 48 hours as part of their search. Oh, wow. So, which okay. is clever, right? Yeah, so it's, it's yeah, a it nice is. way of doing it. But def- And you can get, get it as an iPhone notification as well if you don't want an email. So it's, it's slick. I like it. Talking about notification, notifications. The most, the guy who gets the most notifications in the world is uh, Dean Johnson because he has maybe like probably twenty smartwatches. He has I don't know how many phones, how many tablets, and then God knows how un, how many unreleased gadgets because he gets a lot of gadgets pre-release as well to test them. That's why he says testing them. He <laughs> just wants them. So. Dean, uh, what's your title again? Innovation Vice President? Yeah, creative. creative. It's got the word creative and innovation in it, so it covers lots. Wow. You must be very important. Uh, <laughs> so first, before we go into uh, talking again about a little bit more air, about air travel, I want to know about you, which are three questions uh, we try to ask all of our guests. I mean, you're the second one, so you're just igniting that tradition. Uh, first is how do you fly? Do you have any quirks, any thing that you think makes you stand apart in terms of a passenger? Uh, you only fly private, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, well, see, I'm, I'm quite, you know, most of the time it's cattle class. So I've tried to steer myself onto the plane as, at the end, as, where, as close to the end as possible, as in oh. so that I can get back off quickly um, so that I'm not waiting for the great unwashed all get out of the way. Um, that's also one of the most annoying things to me is that the great unwashed do not get up quickly enough when it's time to get off a plane. Because one of the things that annoys me most on a plane is when, okay, we're finished, we've been taxiing, we're there, we're almost ready to get off the plane. So I'm up because, you know, one of the things, how do I fly? Yeah, I always want an aisle seat. Actually, I always want a window seat because I want to stare out the window because it's always a great thing to look at. Actually, I really end up with the aisle seat so that I can get up and sit down whenever I want and I can stretch at least one leg, um, it, perhaps at a time if I'm lying face down on the seat, but actually <laughs> well, at least one leg. Um, but the thing is, the thing that annoys me is, you. okay, so we've taxied, we're there. I've stood up. I'm on the aisle. I'm the only one of the only people that have stood up. So I know that I can see at least two or three people in front of me also on the aisle that haven't stood up yet. So I've got my bag down, I've got my coat on, 
I'm ready to go as soon as the line starts moving. No, nope. as soon as the line starts moving, then those other people get up. <laughs> then then they start to slowly get the bag down. Then they start to slowly put the coat on. They just either got up already, we'd all be moving off together. I, I, that's the closest I get to air rage. Um, when I really, <laughs> I really want to push them back down to their seat again or just manhandle them along the gangway without them having the chance to take their own baggage. It's almost like they have to forfeit it. Um, <laughs> so that's quite annoying. The other thing that annoys me also <laughs> is that when people leave window blinds down too long, it's daylight and, they, and it's not because the sun's streaming in in their eyes. It's just that they think that they know how to adjust themselves to the local time. Actually, they're going to stick with the time. It was night time when we left. Let's still make it night time now. No, the reason I'm not going to get jet lag is because it's daylight out there. Now make it daylight. So <laughs> I'm going, with you on I'm, that. I'm I was with flying you on back that. from LA uh, last month, and there was a guy, window blind down, sat there reading his book to the light of the entertainment screen in front of him. So he couldn't see his book because he hadn't put the window blind up. So I, I, I wanted to lean over and bang his head against the window blind until he realised that there was a way for him to illuminate it better than There's using a solution a little to this LCD problem. screen. <laughs> on the on the on the 787, actually, the Dreamliner, some airlines have installed a. So the the, the window blind is not an actual blind; it's yeah, the, yeah. The, the the shade of the window. But there, there's a master switch. Actually, the they can actually just decide that everybody is up now. It's like daylight for <laughs> yeah, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. That's great. The first time I saw one of those, I was really confused because I wondered why it was getting so dark so quickly, and it wasn't. Oh, so you flew, so you flew, flew the 787? Yeah, yeah, I didn't even oh, know what God. it was called. Oh, so yeah. you guys, you guys wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, but I've never flown one, and I really want to. So it's great. Lucky. It, it's the future. It's clearly very good. Um, so yeah, so no, no major unusual idiosyncrasies i will just try and get on i think the last five minutes suggest otherwise Dean. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the tsa are actually going to pull me off before i get on the plane next because i'm a potential air rage risk now having done this that's uh, that's a worry um <laughs> so okay about that do you have a second question do you have a, a flight a memorable memorable flight story or maybe also in an airport something that really stuck yeah. Oh, said, okay, this was really a one of a kind. Yeah, I would. I suppose two of them. There's two of them here. Both of them involved me having not air rage, but being quite annoyed by something. Uh, well, we are on a there's yeah. a trend here. Right? Yeah, the first one would be when oh, it must be about a decade ago when I flew to New York with my wife, and um, we were. This was before all of the ridiculous taxes, so we could just get there and back for 250 quid each. But that wasn't cheap enough. We wanted to save another 50 quid. So we went with Air India to New York. Not a conventional airline to fly to New York, I presume. Um, I've never flown Air India since for, for this very reason. Um, so we got on. On the way there, brilliant. We were upgraded as soon as we got on the plane. You know, it wasn't even at the desk. We were, we were called out over the tannoy. Mr. Mr. Johnson, please come upstairs. Nice. Brilliant. Upgraded. Fantastic. They had, they had flock walls. That's amazing. That's the first time I've ever seen that in an aircraft. Flock walls. Um, but then on the way back, not the same experience. We, we sat down and we had paid a little bit extra to get legroom. So we were by the, the exit. And um, the two seats that normally are used by the, the flight attendants, when they pull down the temporary seat and just on takeoff and landing, no, no, they'd sold those. 
What? So for the they what? So for the, the entire no flight, we had two people staring at us. <laughs> no way! They were probably staff, seats. but that's unbelievable. Yeah, that that was that was quite special. So haven't flown Air India since, but it was um. So the other the other experience would be on a Washington flight. Um, it was an internal flight. We were meant to be going from Washington to New York, I think. And a colleague of mine, neither of us had been confirmed for the flight, so got up to the to the desk um at the gate. I was okay. Got on. Um, my colleague guy. I I just kind of shrugged shoulders and and he said oh, I'll probably be, be let on in a minute. No 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 no. What who they let on? Because we'd been in Washington for the inauguration, and um, also a whole team of cheerleaders had been in Washington for the inauguration, and they'd won a trophy. So the trophy got guys seat. So <laughs> that's unbelievable. <laughs> so I got on the plane. Brilliant. I'm in, and then. Here comes a trophy. Brilliant. So they gave the seat, they gave guys seat to a trophy. That's and, uh, phenomenal. All thanks to having been too successful at the inauguration. Brilliant. So um, two examples well, of being nice stories. And last one, I mean, I, I, since you said what you said earlier, maybe there will still be something that annoys you. But what if you had a power? What would be the single thing you would change in the air travel industry or maybe your passenger experience a single thing if you could change what would it be a single thing would be the material they make armrests from okay it, it's oh. the most uncomfortable painful material known to man in in economy <laughs> and so they don't make they don't make any attempt to round off the edges so you're kind of digging it's deciding which part of your elbow it will dig into and then no no that's not enough the fact is There is no written rule for armrest etiquette. Oh, yes, there so, is. <laughs> there is, is actually. There? Alex. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Aisle gets the access, window gets the view, middle gets the armrests. Middle gets both armrests. Middle gets both armrests. Oh, no, no. They've got to do, surely they've just got to get one armrest. Both armrests. Yeah, that's, that's I, the, I guess, I, <laughs> that's the protocol. I guess my aisle seat, I do get one armrest. So if, if anyone's claiming the one that's on the aisle, then I'm they're really in trouble. Yeah, no. So they so you get if you're on the aisle, you get the one on the uh, aisle. If you're in the window, you get the one that's up against the wall. But the 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 two middle ones, the person in the aisle seat gets. Uh, okay. And we're gonna get six hundred and eighty million emails about this saying, actually, <laughs> that's not how it works. But if you fly with me, that's how it works. <laughs> That really should that really should be in the safety video and, yeah, and, and the right. demo at the start. <laughs> you're actually right. An etiquette would be nice, or at least on the leaflet in front of you. Yeah, yeah. But since you talked about that, about being in a seat. So earlier in the show, you mentioned about, oh, well, it would be so nice to have the headset, the VR headset. So you are someone who actually knows about virtual reality. You also worked in it. We'll go to that in a minute. But imagine yourself with a VR headset and now... What do you do with your hands? You start slapping the people next to you instead of actually just fighting for the armrest because you don't have no realization of where you are. So v VR and airplane. So you said, we mentioned earlier, you said, Dean, that uh, Contas and, uh, and Samsung are working together. I think it's a trial. They're offering VR headsets for the premium passengers or in some of their aircrafts. I've not read any reviews to be honest about how this is going. So I, I, can't, I can't tell you, but it's certain that They're going into that direction. Before talking about what the, air, the airline industry is doing, would you, yourself, if you have, I think you have a few VR headsets, 
would you put one on during a flight and just like forget about everything else and just you know either play a game or and i'm not talking about those we actually have to stand up and move but just an immersive experience with maybe just a movie would you do it have you done it um no um no, I haven't. And no, I wouldn't for any duration of time. So I kind of already mentioned this. There's about an hour's worth of just... So I was, just this weekend, I was, I, was in, I was immersing myself for an hour of solid virtual reality, testing all sorts of stuff. Came out the other end, and I felt like I was some kind of right stuff test pilot because I was in pain, I was nauseous, but I felt good about that because I was pioneering all of that. That's not the kind of thing that first class passenger pays good money to feel pain and nausea. Um, no, no, in fact, there was a news story only only today that was talking about using VR headsets to counter uh, motion sickness on plane. Because wow. the, the point was, when you're on a plane and the plane is moving, because you're, all of your point of reference is remaining fixed, your yeah. brain thinks that actually I, this is something's not right here. That's why I'm nauseous. Now, the point was saying you could use a VR headset and it would give you something in what you're looking at that would balance out that issue. So it would show something moving with the horizon line. Again, that, that's a brilliant idea and, and a solution to a medical condition if you're flying for about 30 minutes. But afterwards, you're then going to feel nauseous because you're using virtual reality. Right. So there's a problem there oh, wow. that it's going to solve then cause again but is, so, it, is it i mean because maybe you when you're testing it was gaming I'm, I'm not sure and i won't but is it do you think that even if it's just a simple movie watching so you don't have any type of interaction just watching something is it also something that gives you nausea because i've never tried for long periods yeah I've only just, tried just for watching, like 10 minutes so. yeah just watching is going to be fine um it's just okay. that you're you will want to keep coming out of that environment at, at regular points you know when we're just not quite there yet. The headsets aren't quite comfortable enough for a long no, because there time. There was an article in, in, in Polygon a few weeks ago by Ben Kuchera, and he said that his claustrophobia was gone immediately. I don't know if he has a flight anxiety, flying anxiety, but he was like, his brain kind of like shut down the rest, and he was in a, his own bubble, which, again, I don't know if it's the case for him, but for people who have anxiety of flying or even fear of flying would be something that could potentially and maybe according to what you say in not the near but more the midterm be, be something useful do you do you think that at some point let's talk maybe 20 years down the line i don't know we'll have some vr headsets for everyone because it'll be cheaper to produce the content will be there and you'll just slap that on you uh and that's it and you're for whatever duration of flight you're gone is it something you think will happen or think we'll never get there no no i think we will i think it's <sighs> Part of it is the problem that we don't fly as fast as Concorde anymore. Um, so as, the, as long as we're sticking people in a big metal tube for 10 hours in not the most comfortable seating possible, if we can distract them mentally from that environment, then that's actually a good thing. Um, but, I would say, I would sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I would say you could actually distract them from the fact that the, air, the aircraft sucks, that there's no leg room and yeah, there's no service, yeah. but oh, you have a VR headset, so forget about the flight for the air. Your experience was great, like you were in a movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so part, I'm being very cynical here. But part of that would be, you know, you, your your user experience also includes the fact that someone's coming down the aisle with a trolley that somehow communicates with your headset to tell you that there's a trolley coming in much the same way as they don't wake you up or nudge you when they think you're asleep. Actually, if you're just in, in 
the middle of watching a film, it's different to someone waving a hand in front of you because, or you've seen them because you've just got a pair of headphones on and a screen in front of you. Yeah. If you've got, a, if you're fully immersed and you realise after ten hours you had nothing to eat, um, you'd be quite annoyed. So there's, there's, uh, there are various things rather than just a tap on the arm. Uh, there's lots of things to, to connect still, but you know, I think in another five years' time, or we'll, less than that, will will be there. I, I will just mention, it was just a patent, but a few months ago, Airbus has done a patent with the, a patent of a seat which has an integrated helmet, <laughs> like it's got a VR helmet in it. I mean, besides that, because why not? What I really loved about a patent, and I'm quoting the patent here, uh, it says, the passenger would have the possibility of choosing a type of fl oxygen flow refreshed conditioned and the the air can be enhanced with uh natural or synthetic odorous substances do they want us to get drugs so we forget about the fact we're flying or something this is not, this is not something i would welcome like <laughs> after 3d uh after the 3d images now and welcome to 3d odorant in the plane as well uh so that's digital, yeah but i mean they're going for i mean these are just patterns you cannot read too much into patterns but clearly there's the fact that there are some um, trials. We mentioned Qantas. I know that Delta was also interested in providing uh, headsets for passengers. There is something uh, about it. But according to what you say, it's it's too late. So maybe let's go not as far uh, as VR headsets, but something closer to what we have now in terms of our own you know stuff we use currently. Uh, oh, yeah. Actually, one of the things that bother a lot of people flying is when you have I'm sorry for those of you who are parents. Uh, babies are crying, <laughs> and there was this there was this seat that was also uh, uh, unveiled last week, which basically on the headrest has two as basically like a like a speaker, and that acts like as a noise cancelling speaker and creates a bubble around your head of no noise. You're in a silent bubble, though you're in a plane. That is something that is pretty that cool, is actually. Cool. Yeah. Does it work? Uh, that is. I don't know. I've never tried it. <laughs> the, I, they say it one of the things about the uh, the VR stuff that I think, yeah, as Dean says, five years from now, maybe. But I love looking out the window and going. I yeah, wonder. I wonder what city that is, or what airport that is that we're flying over, or you see a plane zip by, which is so neat. I wonder who that is. I mean, you can maybe see the airline, but where are they going, and how long do they have your flight left? And we've talked about some of the apps where you hold up the the augmented reality and you can get all of that information but i wonder if the if the, there's an intermediary thing of of not a heads-up display on the actual seat window like pilots have and some modern aircraft to show them uh pertinent flight data but something that's like google glass where you can look down at a city and see borders of towns and countries and you know look at a plane and it would have a little dot over it that shows you who it is and where it is we have the technology to do that. I, I saw a patent recently for exactly that of a window overlay, but I feel like that that's hugely in the future. Do you think there's an opportunity to take the data that has been available to us for years in these apps, iPhone apps and, and smartphone apps, and project it into the environment? Maybe not in something like a headset, but either with something like Google Glass or a projection or interface on the window. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, the augmented reality glasses, I mean, some guys that we're working with at the moment, ODG, 
um, based in San Francisco. They they've been they've been at this for a decade now, and they they are able to, as you see it, tell you exactly what you're looking at, who you're looking at, what the buildings are, whatever else. That's stunning stuff. The bit, much like Google Glass, is that we're still at that barrier stage where there's you you don't want to look stupid. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit like until we're at the stage where you're wearing a pair of glasses that look like a normal pair of glasses. Um, you know, there's I, I'm getting my hands on finally next week my Recon Jets, which I've been going on about for about two years or more now. And they're essentially a um, they they use the same technology that Google Glass used, but they are more sport orientated. Which the irony is, I barely move around during the day, <laughs> but um, they um, they they look they look cool. So they look like Oakleys. They've got all the stuff built in, and it, and it feels like that's a real step in the right direction because they don't look stupid. However, <clears throat> they would look stupid if you were just in a normal office environment. Mm. Um, they they wouldn't. Stupid is the wrong word. They they would they would look unfamiliar to everyone around you until enough people are wearing them. Um, but actually, within within a sporting environment, they look spot on. Um, so that works. So if you're in a plane, yeah, maybe it's something that you have access to. It's it's that ten dollars extra surcharge. Yeah. Um, you can have whatever you want extras, and it's the the you know it's not relying on the the audience, the consumers owning their own, but it becomes something that's available. That that could be good. I mean, a lot of the stuff that the data that I, I mentioned that would power something like that, like I said, is freely available. And I always wonder, you know, we have Moving Map, and a lot of airlines have pushed that feature quite hard. They've they've made it so you get like a like a third person view over the tail and you're getting all this wonderful flight data information. If you added like better geographical information of where you're flying over, what to look out for, what it might look like out the window and then other traffic, which there are like five really, really good apps that give us real time flight information. If you could see all of the other planes around you, I just think there's something really nice. And I think it's the same psychological moment or thing that happens when you're watching live tv on an airplane you don't feel as isolated and compartmentalized in a tin can when you're connected to something that's happening outside of your environment like live tv or the world that's happening around you it feels like a like a a worthwhile investment to improve passenger experience yeah you guys would love the odg glasses they do have an app that actually taps into the U.S. air traffic control, and no matter where you look, get me a pair, Dean, right now. <laughs> <laughs> You'd never take them off. <laughs> and the remainder of Dean's interview will be provided as a separate podcast episode, Layovers 12X, coming up next week. So, uh, moving on to uh, the question of the week. Uh, we have a question of the week, which is from your brother, Alex. It is. And it's, Do you want to go? It's weird, go weird that he didn't ask me this in person because I just saw him. But uh, <laughs> he did. He took the time to email in. So thank you, Will, for doing that. Uh, and it's a, it's a good question. What defines first class? He says, who truly has the top tier, quote, pointy end, pointy end of the airplane. Very funny, Will. Uh, product. <laughs> what products uh, or services are necessary to widely be considered a first class product? And... There's actually two really interesting components to that question. I mean, there are some extraordinary first and and pre ultra first or six star, whatever you want to call them, 
products out there, specifically in the Middle East airlines, where you get well the apartment Etihad apartment that Nicole Kidman is is uh, the residence. Residence, thank you. That's what it's called, which is yeah. really just your own private apartment on the airplane, and then others where there's showers available and more. That's Emirates. More and more yeah. of them are having these these private the suites with the doors closed, even in business. So yeah, Singapore, Singapore has introduced suites. Interestingly, though, Singapore they still have first class. And then they introduce suites, which is above first class, which tells you because this is I didn't want to interrupt I didn't want to interrupt you, but this is really about marketing because what it calls first class is the name you give it. Well, to it, right? kind the of. of the no, no, I mean, I mean, uh, sorry about the term because uh, we'll come to the differentiation what they call first class in the U.S. Just the doors. They also uh, Garuda has doors as well. Yeah. Emirates is Singapore doors Airlines have got so it. Uh, ANA have it. Asiana have it. It's becoming yeah. more and more prevalent, and it's quite—it's quite a nice thing being able to, to 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 cut yourself off. Even, you know, even business class Singapore Airlines business class product is is outstanding. Yeah, and- that's the thing. Honestly, when you think about it, Alex, when you look about—I mean, I was—I I was lucky to fly only a handful of times on on in first class. It wasn't Emirates. I had my that private door that closes really cool, but uh, so I have no recollection of flying first class when I was a kid, but. When you think when you would walk in front of the first class back then, you realize that basically what used to be called first class maybe 10, 15 years ago, now the nowadays business class is actually even better than yes, absolutely. most of the time. Absolutely. Which is why a lot of airlines are even doing away with first class altogether because you're in business class, so you have a life light seat and you have champagne and you have whatever. So you don't need a first class. It's really becoming a all like you said, ultra a specific product for very specific routes and very specific Yes, airlines, and you're pricing it, it just under what a private jet would cost. And that's not an exaggeration. Okay. That that's really what it what it costs. But when you look at it quantifiably, it's very difficult to define the aspects or the 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 features or whatever that say this is what makes up a first class product because there's I found some really interesting numbers about this in terms of seat pitch and seat width in premium products, premium seats. And it really runs the, as well as things like uh, the video type, is it on demand or is it rolling, laptop power, Wi-Fi, and the type of seat. And it runs all the way from, if we look at first class, uh, Hawaiian Airlines on their 767. So that's not really intercontinental or inter, well, you're going a long way. It's four plus hours to get from the West Coast to the the US. 42 inch seat pitch. 18 and a half inches wide, just a recliner seat, all the way down to Lufthansa, believe it or not, 92 inches of seat pitch, 31 and a half inches wide. Uh, with it, and that's a suite, an open suite, not a closed suite. That, but that's that's uh, the old, I mean, maybe you don't know, but that's the older than new business class. That is for, you know, for, sure. first that class. Is Current, yeah. So that's on the A380, oh, wow. 90, okay. 92 inches of, of seat pitch. That's wow. the distance between the seats. Um, but then if you go to business class, then it changes entirely. You're you're looking at sort of 40 inches, less than that, 30, 30. Czech Airlines, CSA have 32 inches in business class. Or thir- pardon me, 36 but inches. In you, don't, don't you, don't you, I mean, don't you think, I don't know where you found those numbers, but don't you think it's more about... The industry, like, you know, the competition, each airline kind of tries to keep up with the others. I mean, some, of course, you mentioned the the ones in the Middle East. Singapore also stands out and a few others. Yes. But don't you think it's like it's a self-defined? I mean, the, the, the size of the screen in front of you. So, again, I've been on, on Emirates first yes. class and we have this kind of, I think, sure. 50 plus inch. 
no one tells anyone that it's 50. Maybe like in 10 years, we'll have 65 or VR headset like we just stuck with it with Dean. We don't You're know, right? right? No, it's, there is nothing. And again, that, that in itself shows how how vast the, the gulf is between between these. And they're all considered, quote unquote, first class products. And you can go from 40 right. inches to 92 inches. But what actually defines whether or not it is first class, and this is a really boring answer, but it's the truth is the fair class in which it is booked. Correct. So if it is not a first-class booking fair code, like F-class, then it is not a first-class product. And a great example of this is Virgin. They do not have a first-class product. Yeah. Anywhere on the any... Up, the, upper, the, the upper class is basically it's, what is usually called yes, business class. Yes, it is a J-class booking fair, which means it is a business-class product. They do not refer to it as first-class. Cleverly, they refer to it as upper class upper class so you are an Very upper nice. class virgin if you if you're in the pointy end of the of the airplane and there but their product that that physical product is outstanding i mean it's they were yeah, the exactly. pioneers That's... of the herringbone print which is the if you're not familiar the herringbone is those angled seats that point from the window nosing into the into the aisle yeah. Which have the advantage of every single person in the, in the cabin can have act direct access to the, uh, to the exactly, air. which is a huge yeah. feature. Some people call them coffin seats because you do feel a little claustrophobic, but I, I like them. I think they're very comfortable seats. They've got a bar. They were again the innovators in in that space as well. But what defines a first class versus a business class product is the booking booking class. But Paul's yeah. right. I mean, they the Middle Eastern airlines, some of the Asian Southeast Asian airlines are really pushing that hard as a marketing differentiator to say we are a premium airline because not because as as dean said earlier in the show of our economy project which are broadly homogenous but how luxury it is it can it can get on one of our airplanes my one of my favorite first class and i was never able to fly it because again i mean at first i don't have the means to do that <laughs> and second not enough miles is swiss swiss is actually their first class of very few aircrafts have it is like it's not because i'm swiss i'm saying that guys but it is very minimalistic wooden square it's very look look up the pictures it's really really breathtaking although of course the ones in the middle east are amazing but they're look i mean they're more like show offy i'm sorry to use that term but they like really look yeah. how much stuff can put there i mean it's uh but again I, to, to, to answer the question to will said it's true that uh don't me be sled by marketing it's like alex said it's f uh though i mean maybe you can say a word about the fact that why do you have any idea why in the u.s they would call what is commonly known as business class even on short haul and me, uh, medium haul in, in europe first class in the u.s i think that it's that's a purely a marketing? New, yeah it's an it's a it's a outmoded nomenclature thing from from the good old days where there was coach and first and and nothing in between but now with delta with their 65 classes on an airplane or whatever it is you know they <laughs> they can call it whatever they want um i i it's it's a very weird I, there's something quite sweet about it in a way where you still have airlines referring to it as as coach class which is quite a pejorative term i think but yes, they still right. use it yeah yeah yeah, economy is now. Economy is pretty pejorative use, uh, as well, but you know. Yes, it's, yes, but at least it, it conveys the fact that it won't it'll be yeah. cheap in terms of. And airlines of price. have dabbled. Coach is like yeah, exactly. A coach is like it sounds like you're riding on a bus. Airlines have dabbled yeah. with using different words and and things for describing it. It just ends up confusing people. 
Yeah, exactly. Most people, I mean, are okay with economy. The other thing that I would add, though, uh, slightly, very quickly, because Will mentioned what is what makes a top tier product. The whole experience also sometimes is, I mean, of course, the customer care, the, the fact that the crew remembers your name upon entry. Honestly, again, not that many memories, but that memory of me entering that Emirates and I was put in first class in the first. It was the second time I was I was upgraded. And the crew actually remembered not only my name, but I always say that I like to be named with, not with my last name because it's complicated with my first name. So they are, hello, Paul. They knew everything. They had all the CRM. That's that's the bit at the end of data. Great. This also makes it first class. It makes you feel, you know, valued. Absolutely. And some airlines have done as well. uh, I mean, Emirates is one, but uh, Lufthansa is another. They've done a dedicated terminal to check in. So at Frankfurt Airport, you have a first class terminal. I was never able to get there. Uh, They have also cars. I just read a trip report where someone did that. They were connecting to an international flight. They did something like Nuremberg to to Frankfurt. And when they got off the flight, there was a beautiful Mercedes limousine waiting for them to shuttle them airside to the lounge. I was like, that's... So that's that's either if you're first class or if you're Horn Circle, which is the highest level of, of uh, frequent fire status on, on, on Lufthansa, which, by the way, is 600,000 miles a year. So you must be flying a lot. This is why it's very a, a top-tier wow. product because they know that some other airlines are top-tier like a, like a Sky Team, it's much more attainable, but they won't offer you like a Mercedes or an Audi. Just if you ever, if anyone listening flies through Frankfurt or Munich, when you're in a bus, because it happens, just look out and you'll often see these magnificent cars parked and waiting for customers. These are the type of cars that they will individually, unless you're in a family, of course, pick you up at the plane, transfer you sometimes directly to your connecting flight, not having to go through the airport at all. It's pretty, pretty amazing. So this is, so as Alex said, there's no actual way to define first class, but to see what uh, class of travel you're in, but the rest is about looking how, as a product. It makes and if you sense, if right? you're normal people like us, I'm sure there are a few of you listening to this that travel first class regularly. If so, please bring us along. But if you are a normal person and want to experience <laughs> the pointy end of airplanes, my opinion is the 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 cheapest way of most cost effective way of doing this is user miles. Don't yeah yeah of course and we'll, yeah. we'll maybe we'll do a whole segment on how to use your miles. We'll lose that. We'll lose that because you mentioned also earlier, well, like uh, when we talked about the Quanta story in the lounge, play uh, you know played a part. It, it works. I mean, uh, you can be upgraded not easily, but in long haul they will allow you to upgrade. And this is why, for instance, Emirates upgraded me not because I was playing the parties because they had they have sometimes of ability in the front sometimes too many and they will actually make you a gift because they won't be nice to yeah. you or, or something. So it's uh, it happens. It's But we'll do a, a show about this. So now to the airport of the week, we chose LAX. So I've never been to LAX. I still myself, can't believe that. <laughs> no, I know. I've, I've, I've traveled to a lot of West Coast airports, but never LAX. Uh, and the reason we chose it, obviously, because Dean travels there a lot. He mentioned he has, uh, he works with the entertainment industry over there. So, uh, and, you know, it's one of these big airports that we couldn't avoid. At some point, we had to do so. Let's do it at the beginning of our journey into this podcast. So, LAX, Alex, tell us more there's about a, LAX. Actually, there's a there's a technical phrase that this to that's applied to the style of airport that LAX is, and you may not be familiar with this term, but it's crap hole. And <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and LA, man, LAX. So there are nine terminals. Oh my God. Nine. <laughs> terminals at uh-huh. LAX in 
Are they connecting or are these like the kind of stuff we No, they're all connected transfer? and they're in this like if you ever try and drive to LAX, which you have to do because you cannot get out in, or in a, a, a LAX using any form of public transport other than buses, you that's called California. That's California in a right? nutshell, especially in <laughs> LA. But you have to you have to negotiate this extraordinary tiered road system that if you if you go up the wrong ramp, you have to go all the way around the airport, go out and come back in again and take another whack at. If you want to practice this, play Grand Theft Auto V because it is rendered beautifully <laughs> in Grand Theft Auto V. Uh, it is... Uh, I can't even describe how bizarre this airport, this relic is. There's So there's nine terminals and there's a great article on Wiki Travel that says, if you find yourself in one of the older tra- terminals, which can be recognized by the overcrowding, outdated decor and unpleasant odor, blah, 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 which is categorically true. Some of the older, I don't know why, some of the older terminals smell like they were built on an open sewer. It is bizarre. God. It's a very big airport. It's like more than 70 million passengers. It's, uh, by the way, you know, there's this uh, landmark that is that sits in front of it. I don't exactly, again, I've never been, but... I must have seen like dozens and dozens of movies. When you see that landmark, it looks like a, some kind of uh, you know a flying saucer, a reverse yeah, the or theme, something. The theme know. building. It's it is a very a the theme building, very cool building. And there's a restaurant in it, and that's featured been featured oh. in a bunch of. It was closed for years and years and years and years, but it was uh, it's recently been reopened. And that actually is a is a another one of the very few positive points about that airport. It's a landmark building it's from the 60s it's a, again very similar to to the twa thing that it def- it's an iconic representation of the airport it gives you a great view of the field if, if that's your jam but other than that it's it's funny because i read again i don't have any but i read it that's for me kind of representative to a lot of the stuff that happens often in airports in the u.s i'm sorry for anyone listening in the u.s is that when they started building the the major airport because it, it was there for quite a while they thought that where the this theme building is, it was you should have been part of the big glass dome that was supposed to encompass all the terminals. So something really Very like forward thinking, <clears throat> something like uh, something the like now you, <laughs> the Jetsons, exactly something like they do now in the Middle East, or we just mentioned about uh, Seoul Airport doing this. When you look at the rendering, something very future looking yeah. and then you know oh well let's scale it down let's scale it down oh no metro yep. let's just have cars and let's have parking space and parking space and parking space and oh but just let's keep that in the middle it's it's a bit sad because in the u.s you have sometimes sometimes plans and maybe because of a very pragmatic country very quickly all the grandeur disappears and it just stays like well cute. the last major refresh and renovation and expansion of lax happened for the olympics and you're, oh, okay. you're are you sure i thought it was more sure. okay yeah because it, i guess it was a big thing was 84, 84. Right? so 30 <laughs> years ago and since then anything major has been blocked by lawsuits uh, but it, it says i read somewhere that they want to build uh an airport link like a, a rail ring link which wow for california would be amazing to have to be able to go out of the airport without being like Dean, he said earlier, having to rent a car and then getting lost yeah. and then the, going on that that thing you just mentioned, the, Alex, and being but lost this, forever. I mean, the thing about LA circles. is you can take public transport somewhere, but you still have to drive to get anywhere else in LA. Um, it's 
the only other, I mean, one of the accolades that the LAX gets is it is frequently named one of the worst international airports in the U.S. Um, <laughs> now, there is one hugely, hugely redeeming feature of this airport if you are in any way interested in airplanes at all, even if you're not. So there is an In-N-Out Burger just on the outside of the airport. Now, In-N-Out Burger is fantastic in and of itself. It is the bur- the best chain burger in the world by a country mile. Go find one if you're on the West Coast. But it is also, there is a there is the restaurant and then a grassy area right in front of it that is right at the end of the runway for the approaching heavies. Oh, So you wow. can sit outside with your amazing burger and your milkshake as these heavies scream give you a haircut as they come in it it just if you google image search for this you will see the most extraordinary pictures and as paul said because it's such a huge airport you get planes from all over the world and you can while away hours at this place and you can even if you're if you're doing a transfer and you don't have a, a car you can actually get to it by hopping on a one of the car park buses i think it's a free car park bus but there is a bus that will take you from the terminal right to the in and out. It's called the the parking spot is the name of the of the car park. Jump on that shuttle bus. Obviously. It'll take you right to the in and out and you will have the best layover that uh, that you can experience. Oh, wow. Uh, Dean, have you ever so you've been to, but what do you think? Is it really worth the name Crab Hole? One <laughs> of the, the um, I, I don't know. I, that, that's quite harsh, but but fair. Um, the, 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 most of the time I'm doing what I normally do, head down, just work my way through. I've got a really bad sense of smell, so that's probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> the, I, I was there with a colleague once who had injured her knee and we were looking for some kind of, I don't know, wheelchair or some way I could get her through slightly more comfortably than queuing for hours to get through security. And they told us to go and sit by some chairs that were next to a phone. Um, and they said, oh, that's that's where you need to go and sit. Someone will come along and, and sort you out. So we went over there, sat next to this phone. They didn't tell us anything about the phone. They just got us to go and sit there in the row of seats. Half an hour later, go back again. So what, what are we meant to be doing? I mean, so is someone meant to be coming with a chair? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, when, when you call them, they will come with a chair. Right, <laughs> call who? So they, they, they said, oh, no, there's only, there's only like three digits on the phone. So it, it wasn't 911. Um, but they so we we called the man with the chair um another half hour later eventually the the, i think they have one chair in 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 the whole setup so the the guy eventually turned up with the chair so we we got fast track through and at the other end we had to give the chair back (laughs) so the chair bit was a fast track to get through um just just the the security well on the other side we got some guy with a little bleepy trolley who's in grand theft auto Again, I think that he played too much of that because that was an exciting high-speed trolley, but he didn't have the beeper; didn't work, so he had to actually say beep, beep, <laughs> beep all the way through. <laughs> so, the top of his voice, he was going through. The, I, I still, to this day, not entirely sure whether it was an escaped mental patient or not. <laughs> Oh, well, well, I'm looking forward to try this one day, uh, this airport, not for the otter, not for the trolley, but just because of the in and out you just mentioned, Alex. So that <laughs> it's worth the trip only just goal for that. Thing there. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So, and finish because we decided with Alex earlier today that 
We are, our show is called Layovers, and we've been talking about now that's our 12th airport, and we never say something, is it, according to you, Alex, a good airport to have a layover? Yes, because of In-N-Out, it makes it one of the best in the world for a layover. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that, oh, that was a great answer. <laughs> on that, guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Dean. Dean, was thank really you so much. You that's fascinating. Us all, all along. Thanks, guys. Fascinating. We'll reinvite you at some point. Uh, Alex, uh, see you Thank next you, week. guys. On behalf of Layovers and the entire crew, we'd like to thank you for joining us on this podcast, and we are looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.